I wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, a Sons of Saturday podcast. My name is Pete Berthod, and you know my co-host, Robbie. And we have a special guest tonight. We got Sam Jesse. You might know him from the Hokey Ball podcast. You might know him from the Locks of Saturday. But Sam, thank you for coming on with us tonight. Hey, man, it's uh, I'm I'm happy to do some deep dive research into these first few games. Uh, maybe went a little deeper than I thought I was, but I'm excited to talk about it. It'll be helpful for you throughout the year to have some of that knowledge back there. But yeah, we're going to get into our summer opponent previews for this upcoming season. We're going to do the first six games tonight. But to kick us off, Rob, why don't you give us a cheers? Well. Cheers to the football season. This is really where it starts. When we hit the first preview on the on the first six games, this is, for me at least, when football season really begins because it's the first time I really get in in depth on Old Dominion and Marshall and a lot of these teams that otherwise I just kind of look at and, and think in the back of my mind during the offseason, yeah, we should beat them. Uh, and now I have to actually uh, do some diligence and some research. So, Cheers to kicking off the football season. Cheers. Yeah, I always think it's interesting. You go through these teams, and as you tear into them a little bit more, all of a sudden a game you thought might be winnable is now going to be a lot tougher, and a game you thought was going to be really tough, hey, maybe maybe we got a better shot. And uh, we're, we're going to get into ODU here shortly, but first I wanted to kick it off with just some of the recruiting news. There's not – so much going on right now besides recruiting. I mean, you have the Bob Huggins scandal and the Pat Fitzgerald scandal, but uh, as long as your school's not in the negative, it's usually just positive recruiting news, and that's how it's going for us. We got athlete Noah Jenkins committed on 630, so right after we recorded the last time, Jenkins came in, and if you remember, Robbie and I talked about a big recruiting weekend coming up, and there was a lot of positive vibes afterwards, but no actual commitments on that second big recruiting weekend so it was getting a little people were getting nervous i know sam was kind of messaging people like i'm waiting on these commitments and uh jenkins jumped in the boat he was the first one three star from highland springs had a penn state offer south carolina old miss west virginia uva among others and so it that was a really nice commitment it's not the highest guy in the class but it's a nice pickup and an athlete that'll probably get used i would guess on the defensive side of the ball um, not, not completely clear, but we have so many wideouts and so many running backs that it's probably going to be back there. Do you guys have any commentary on Jenkins or just keep flowing? All right. I'll, I'll take every Highland Springs player, every, <laughs> every single one of them. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Just chalk it up, chalk it up. 
the big one I thought was uh, Gerard Johnson, because this was a defensive end, a position of need, a sought after uh, all along college football, trying to get those ends and edge rushers. He committed on seven one and he was a composite four star. So not only was he a four star, he's from Virginia beach. He was competing like the two schools that were his final two were UVA and Virginia tech. That's very rare these days. So to get a six, four kid, a four star that might've gone to UVA and, and have him come to our backyard. That's huge. He was a top 400 in the composite third highest recruit in our class right now, a top 10 player in VA. You know, Sam said, he'll take all the Highland Springs guys. I will take all the defensive ends. Uh, <laughs> if you know me on the podcast, please uh, just come to Virginia tech and let's get something established on the defensive end uh, position. Finally. He's the quietest four star from Virginia beach of all time. Yes. But, uh, I mean, if you look at him, Physically, he looks like a big time defensive end. So really excited to get kind of that that length, that athleticism into the program. It's a roster that quite frankly just doesn't have a ton of that right now. Absolutely. And we 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 need more depth at defensive end. Even this this guy hopefully will be a starter down the road. But it's just amazing how like little experience and whatnot we have in the program. If it wasn't for Antoine Powell coming in, it we could be in dire straits for this upcoming year. So uh, it'll be nice to get Gerard Johnson in the fold next year. Wide receiver, Chance Wiggins committed on 7-6. He was a high-end three-star, another VA kid, six foot three, a Penn State and a Pitt offer, Maryland, UNC. So you'll notice all these schools are in our footprint. UVA, WVU, and we beat out all of them to get Chance Wiggins. So that was that's another really nice pickup. And we're not lacking for wide receivers, but I'll take talent on the outside, and he's got a cool name. So let's roll with Chance. But all three of these guys are VA kids. They're like, I just mentioned the footprint. We're pounding it. And nine of our 14 commits are from Virginia, Maryland, or UNC. So we are, we are right where we want to be. And we had talked about why it's good to recruit the footprint many times. Uh, for me, it was always, especially under Fuente, it was, I want guys close to home already because if things aren't going well and they want to transfer or they're thinking about transferring, well, maybe they won't if they're already close to home. But Chris Coleman pointed something out on the TSL pod that like when you are starting to take guys from those other schools, not only are you helping VT, you're hurting those other schools. And that was a perspective I hadn't really thought about much. Yeah, I would agree with that. And we've seen other schools in the state and you know, we're going to talk about you know a couple, at least one of them tonight. And uh, that it those players need to be coming to Virginia tech. And that is your, that is your base year in and year out. You may have ebbs and flows in what your recruiting can do, but if it's not founded upon getting the guys that you're supposed to, you're never going to have, that's why the whole Texas to VA, North Carolina to VA, it, it was never going to work and create something sustainable because it wasn't based. It, there was no baseline like foundation to the recruiting so that you could handle the ebbs and flows. Those are the ones that are supposed to really top off a good recruiting class, yes. not the ones that you're relying on to, to come in year in, year out. That's your um, <clears throat> Davy Belfort from Florida, right? Like he's, he's the kind of guy you want to add to a solid base of a footprint class, but the current 2024 recruiting class is sitting at number 39 in the composite. A couple more big targets out there, uh, most notably Keelan Adams. Uh, Brody, as he's known in his nickname, he is committing on Thursday, just two days from now, 713. Another kid from Virginia Beach, Green Run High School. 
And this week we did get some crystal balls to the Hokies on two four seven. So people were getting all all worked up. He's got a Bama offer, Michigan, Auburn, FSU, countless. I mean, all the all the big schools are there between us and South Carolina. And Doug Bowman was talking about how much momentum South Carolina has right now. So if we could beat out Shane for this kid, that would be awesome. Top two hundred guy. If we were to get him, he's a .9277. He'd be around the 30th best recruit we've ever gotten in the history of the recruiting services. So <laughs> Keelan Adams would be a big, big-time get. That's huge. I was I was talking over the this past weekend to a Clemson fan who's pulling their hair out with what um, what Beamer's been able to do in recruiting that footprint uh, thus far. It, it, it's not helping them at all, that's for sure, because it, that's um, that's right in their backyard. But uh, that would be a huge pull for us on on and, and really generate a ton of momentum in in the ways that we all hoped uh, Pry would actually you know execute on, and and he promised he would. Yeah, Virginia Tech is starting to be a lot more, at least, competitive in these high-end recruiting battles, and that's kind of what Brent Pry was hired to do, not only to coach football, but also as a recruiter, and I think we're seeing about, you know, a little over 500 days into the job, we're starting to see the fruits of that right now from Brent Pry, so the the vision is in works, I think, for Brent Pry in terms of the recruiting aspect of the job. Yes, he's going to have to prove some stuff on the field this year in particular after everyone will keep pointing at that three wins until we outdo that number. And with that being said, let's get to some of the numbers on Virginia Tech before we hop in to ODU and Purdue and whatnot. In the FPI, Virginia Tech's at 63, the S&P plus 65, so right in the middle of college football in both those rankings. Athlon actually has us significantly lower down at 78. Um and our projection for this upcoming season from Athlon is five and seven and two and six in the ACC in the on three portal index rankings. We are number 16 in the country and that's out of 69 power schools. They've only ranked those ones um, in their performance index. They kind of take the people that left, take the people that came in and give you a net rating and Virginia tech sitting at 16. We had one guy drafted in Jamari Connor. Our best unit projects to be the DBs, and I think you guys would probably both agree with that. And in terms of our Athlon preseason all-conference, we had three gentlemen, Allie Jennings, Mansoor Delane, and punt returner Tucker Holloway. Um, (laughs) You'll notice on here as we go through, like you get down to Florida State, they got like 13 uh, all ACC guys on their team or something like that. So that's kind of where Virginia Tech's coming in. So when you hear us talk about FPI or Athlon's rankings, just know that we're at in the sixties, in the high seventies on Athlon, but right in the middle of college football. And hopefully we can outdo that ranking. But right now let's get into ODU. This is a big first game of the season. Me and Robbie joked about it being at 8 PM on the ACC network, the ACC network uh, game of the week. Uh, And I'm not sure why they put this game at night. I guess it's the in-state rivalry fact that they've beaten us a couple times, but we are at home this time. And I'll kind of let I'll let Sam kick off some of the some of the numbers. Um, their projection from Athlon, I'll leave you with this for 2023, was three and nine and a two and six record in the Sun Belt. And so they're not projected to have a particularly good season. But guess what? They went three and nine last year and still beat us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is I'll just go on. This is not a very good football team in Old Dominion. This is a a rebuilding year off of a three and nine season. 
Uh, they have a lot of question marks. Uh, I'm a Lindy's guy for preseason magazines, okay. big Lindy's guy. So right now, Old Dominion is sitting at number 124. Mm. Uh, there's only 130-something teams that they rank. Um, they, If you guys are familiar with this Action Network, which is a popular sports betting conglomerate site, they have a metric they used uh, with Bill Connolly of ESPN and Phil Steele called TARP. And what that does is it kind of takes into account all of the production that is coming in through the transfer portal and returning. And they are 120th in that in the country. So not only is this team uh, not very talented last year, uh, they're not bringing back a lot of the guys that did very well. Now, partially that's because Virginia tech took their best player, but you know, and Ali Jennings, but so we're looking at a team that, you know, quite frankly, doesn't have a lot in the cupboard. They're going to start an FCS quarterback, they're starting running backs, a Juco guy, a pretty talented Juco guy, but still uh, just kind of shows that the talent level of this program is is pretty low in, in 2023. I have a lot of numbers about last year's game and, and this year's game, so I'll let you guys give some initial thoughts before I ramble too long. See, this is why we invited Sam on, because he's already bringing up TARP. Uh, you yeah. <laughs> you got to love that. Uh, I just have some more basic things I'll say before I hand it over to Rob. They did end their season last year on a six-game losing streak. Uh, so maybe they p- were playing a little bit better earlier in the season. And obviously we knew the comedy of errors that happened in our game. And I'll let Sam talk about that later, but just four of us turning starters on offense, three on defense. Um, and their only all, all conference pick was defensive tackle Alonzo Ford. Um, he left after spring practice. And so he's not even there anymore. They did have a, a punter on the all uh, Sunbelt team. And maybe, oh, Jason Henderson, the linebacker. So they had two guys, but one of their three all ACC guys did leave uh, after Athlon was printed. So that's that's never a good thing. Um, quarterback wise, what are we? What are you seeing there, Rob? Like, what do you have on their quarterback? Well, Hayden Wolf left the program, right, and he transferred out. So he and he wasn't exactly. He went to Western Michigan, so you can say. Western Michigan's had some good seasons. If you were going to compare the two teams, at least from a conference standpoint, you know, roughly on par with each other. So, you know, when you really dig into the the team right now for this season, they got like Grant Wilson. I think he's a junior and is projected to to start for them. Um, I'm not so sure that it's really, and he's um, uh he's going to have a whole lot to throw to. We talked about Ali Jennings and then his departure. I think he had to get two wide receivers back from um, last year, not the most productive guys out there. Uh, so I'm not really sure I'm, I'm even that concerned um, with Grant himself as much as I am with, I, I don't know that they're going to have a ton to to throw to here, or at least without, uh, without Ali Jennings um, uh, on the team. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that for sure. And their running backs should take a step back without Watson. Um, if you look at their SP plus on offense, it's 128th. So that that speaks to, they they didn't have a very good quarterback in Wolf to begin with. Now he's gone, as Robbie mentioned. And these two guys battling it out, they're probably not it either. And so you throw in, yeah, maybe they got a few receivers back. I think even five of their top seven receivers are back. But like Rob said, there's not a lot of production there. So what are you really going to get if the quarterback can't get them the ball? They lost one of their best playmakers at running back. They lost their best playmaker at wide receiver. It's going to be a a rough go on their offense. That's for sure. 
Yeah, and I think you throw into that they're also without three other, you know, they lost three starting offensive linemen as well, and they're starting tight end who's now in the NFL. (laughs) And they were 125th in rush yards per game uh, last year. So with with all those linemen going out, the running back going out, you're already like almost dead last in the run game. Like you'd say, oh, their quarterback's struggling. Maybe they'll turn to the run. I'm not so sure that's going to happen either. And not to pile on. Well, buddy, I'm going to pile on. Anyway, uh, Grant Wilson is a Fordham transfer, and I think he took like five snaps last year. Uh, This is not like somebody who blew, you know, blew the doors off uh, other teams at at Fordham. So um, they, they, uh, this is going to sound mean, but I won't say. They found this guy like over like, you know, kind of cleaning up the nearby McDonald's and they're like, you play football. Yeah, you play football. Let's go. Come on. Uh, that That's, I think, how this came about. But it, it it looks to be a struggle for this team. Yeah. And you'll notice with that Fordham thing, Ricky Ronnie, Penn State guy, mm-hmm. you got Tyler Bowen with us, Penn State, Fordham connection, Brent Pry. It's kind of all full circle with all these guys. But Ricky Ronnie, I mean, He's kind of a fiery guy, just nine and 16 over his first two years, but he, he outcoached Brent Pry last year. And so that's going to be a storyline going into this game. And I'm sure Brent was pissed about it like because yeah. those guys know each other and know each other pretty well. So uh, let's flip over to their defense. Cause it, it's significantly better than their offense. 76th in the SP plus after spring practice, uh, 80th in yards per play last year. Jason Henderson is really the story of their defense because he led the nation in tackles. He near broke the NCAA record, right, Sam? Really talented linebacker. You, I think, think Dax Hollifield with a little bit more lateral mobility. He's a really good player. He's, he's probably an NFL uh, guy, at least. Maybe not a superstar in the league, but he's a guy who will get a shot. Uh, last year, their defense was very bend, don't break. They gave up a lot of yards. And in fact, against, in, against Virginia Tech, they give up a ton of yards, but they do get pretty good in the red zone. So, you know, I think for Virginia Tech, similar to last year's matchup, it'll be about converting drives more than will it be about can they move the ball or not? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Just to harp back on Henderson and how much how key he's going to be to this defense. His 186 tackles were what five shy of Luke Keekley's in 2011, and the most tackles by any player in FBS since Luke Keekley, who was really, really good and a really good pro. So I, I agree with you. He does have likely a pro future, this kid. They got Terry Jones back at safety. He was third on the team in tackles and had two picks last year. Um, their rushing defense was pretty terrible. They And you talked about the bend, but don't break. But they gave uh, 198 yards per game in the run game, 118th in the country. Now, they did face an incredible amount of rush attempts. Um so only 74th in yards per carry against. So on a play per play basis, they weren't so bad against the run, but I don't know if they were just down in a lot of games. I know the record wasn't good, but for, or they played a lot of option teams, but they got run on a ton and people were throwing up yards. They were 103rd in passing efficiency. So in reality, like the passing efficiency on a per play basis was actually worse than the rushing, even though they're giving up 200 rushing yards a game. So this defense is kind of weird. Like you look at those numbers, it looks pretty bad, but it's a lot better than their offense. And it it's sh- against us. I mean, hey, they can hang in the game. I don't know that they have a senior starter on the whole defensive side of the ball. I think it's all sophomores, juniors, um, and maybe sprinkled in with some freshmen as well. So um, at least on the you know the depth chart that I saw, I think to Sam's point originally, it 
it's a rebuilding year on both sides. So we'll see what it looks like, you know, next year. But uh, there's at least a little bit of youth on uh, on that side of the ball. Yeah. Overall, uh, let's just attack this game ten thousand feet. The spread is two touchdowns right now, <laughs> right around thirteen and a half. Uh, maybe 13, it's 14, it's moving around in favor of the Hokies. And you see a number like that. I think it was an eight-point spread last year on the road or maybe got down to six at game time. But that makes me feel good. I don't know if I should feel good, but at home, you got one of these kids coming into lane in the opener at night at quarterback. Like I I feel good about Brent being a little aggressive. Um, or I should say Chris Marv this year being a little aggressive, getting after the quarterback. And since they they lack playmaking at pretty much everywhere but linebacker and wide receiver, I think we'll have a significant athletic advantage in this game. I think it's also important to remember last year that, look, Tech, Tech ended up losing the game, but they dominated that game in a lot of facets as well. Um, I don't know if, if your audience is um, – you know, familiar with the stat expected points added, but basically what it does is it contextualizes the yards gained on a certain play, right? So if you get 10 yards from your own 20 to your own 30, that's not the same as 10 yards from the opponent's 11 to the opponent's one, right? So that's basically what expected points added or EPA measures. And when you look at EPA margin, Virginia Tech's game against Old Dominion was the third highest EPA margin by a losing team Oof. In all of FPS over the past two seasons. Wow. Oh, <laughs> more than one season, huh? <laughs> if you played that game a hundred times, 99 of them Virginia Tech oh would win. It, it is a statistical anomaly. Um, one of the only major games that was worse was, was Alabama Tennessee last year when Alabama scored like 60 points and lost. Um, I mean, Damn. Tech had five that turnovers, over 100 yards of penalties. I mean, a, a botched snap on a field goal. Crazy things happened in that game. And I do think there is going to be an air of revenge in Lane Stadium. Um, I don't know if you would quite call this a rivalry, but I think there's going to be a bit of anger on that tech sideline. I would I, hope uh, so. Hope there's, yeah, there, be, there better be. Uh, I think that <laughs> if there isn't, then we got some problems. Uh, I, I think this should be a game that... Maybe they play with their food a little bit early on, but I think Virginia Tech should should have its arms around uh, ODU relatively soon in, into early you know, third quarter and, and have the game handily uh, taken care of. If not, it is a bad omen for the rest of the season, for sure. Yeah, I think we'll move the ball on this team, especially on the ground. Uh, Henderson could be a little bit of a problem, but if you stay away from him, uh, scheme scheme them up a little bit. Uh, you should be straight. And if we can't separate before the fourth quarter or even late into the fourth quarter, that's going to be a real problem and a really bad omen that not much has changed since last year. But this should absolutely be a a convincing win, in my opinion. This should be we should match that spread. We really should because we were the better team last year, as Sam indicated. I had written down when we were losing those tight games or battling in games and losing what I considered to be a Virginia tech fail. And that would be a penalty, a turnover, a miss kick, a sack allowed or a fourth, fourth down conversion allowed. And in the ODU game, we had 22 of those fails. That was more than any other game of the season. 
NC State, we had 18. GT, we had 19. You'll notice we lost those two games by one point. I mean, we were we could not get out of our own way. We made so many sp- mistakes, especially early in the year. And you hope that Marv calling the plays, Pry being the head coach, that we will, like just the head coach, should eliminate those games. You're like, how the hell did we lose that game? That, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. You guys ready to move on Purdue? You got anything else on you? ODU? 30 to 10 Hokies. Okay. I like 38 10. And at the Not end just- of the pod, I am going to ask you guys to give me the record through the first six games of what you just, you know, you don't have to give me the exact, but what you think will happen after those first six games. Rob, you had something? No, I was just going to say, let's get to the big drum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Purdue Pete, man, coming to Blacksburg. After many years, we, we went there in 2015. We won a very odd game, kind of a quiet crowd game and motley went in there and we won but now they're coming here 9 9 12 p.m on espn 2 uh purdue they lost their coach and he was a highly sought after guy some people think he's going to be the savior for louisville and brian uh jeff brown not brian brown <laughs> and uh they got a new coach over in over at purdue ryan walters he's in his first year he was the dc at illinois and before that he worked at Missouri, both teams known for having some pretty high quality defense, particularly this past year at Illinois under Brett Bielema. He Walters was was very, very good for them, but he is a young man. In fact, he is younger than both Robbie and I at only 37 years old. I believe he's the youngest coach in FBS currently. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe coming to Lane Stadium in his second game might be a little too much for him. But uh, how do you guys see the Purdue Boilermakers playing out? Rob, do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I'll go. I think the, the interesting part of this is with Jeff Brom leaving and Ryan Walters coming in, most of the talk that I see is around Graham Harrell coming in from WVU and the offensive coordinator, what he can do. And that's because Brom's offense, in particular, the passing offense was so prolific that the question is really, can they they can continue that? This was one of the best passing offenses really, you know, nearly in the country, um, for a couple of years there. So that is, um, that's really where my focus is even more so than, than the head coach is what's going to happen, um, with him. And, and along with that, you have transfer Hudson card coming in from Texas. And, um, I don't know. I know he has a big arm. Uh, we didn't see a ton of from him at Texas. So it's kind of a question mark on what he's going to look like. And you have the relationship between him and Graham, Graham Harrell coming in uh, to see what we're, what we're going to have. I, I, I don't know, but it'll be interesting. Um, and I don't know what to make of Hudson card whatsoever, other than, you know, I think he's a real athletic guy. He was obviously a highly coveted uh, recruit early on, but you know, it's kind of TBD what his performance is going to look like. Do you have thoughts on card in the offense, Sam? Um, yeah. I mean, Hudson card is the exact kind of quarterback that used to terrorize Virginia tech, a guy with a big arm and can scramble, but there's a reason he didn't get much action at Texas. You know, that he's can make a lot of mistakes and he's a guy who look their their quarterback recruiting has been unlike anything the sport has ever seen over the past year. So no shame in him transferring. Um, you know, I think what Robbie said is spot on. Graham Harrell, as the offensive coordinator for West Virginia, kind of took it to Brent Pry last year. Um, and it was really a struggle for that Virginia Tech defense. So, you know, in many ways, how the first game was a revenge game for kind of the program. 
Game two might be a bit of a revenge game for Brent Pry because he'll have to scheme up against a Graham Harrell offense that they lost a lot of playmakers. They have a new quarterback, um, but they return a lot of guys on the offensive line. They return uh, their running back, Devin Maccabee, who is Sam Rogers. He's the exact same player. Um, <laughs> literally, he's, he's the exact same player as Sam Rogers. I mean, it's there's a lot of question marks around this team. Except for more of, productive. <laughs> he's more productive. Um, I, I will say just there's a lot of question marks around this team. Uh, their win total is set at five and a half for this season, favoring the under. There's a reason for that. Um, there's not a ton of athleticism and talent across this team, but they have a lot of good coaches who have done really well the last few stops. Yeah. And, and the things that stand out to me about Purdue – is that they had five guys drafted in the NFL draft last year. That is not a Purdue thing. That doesn't happen. And maybe Aiden O'Connell went a little too high and, and all that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, five guys drafted means a lot of talent went out the door at Purdue. And that doesn't get replaced easy, especially when the coach that brought in that talent is no longer there. Then you go down to their portal losses because Louisville has been destroying them in the portal, taking a lot of guys with them over there. 61 out of 69 teams in the net portal ranking on on three. So they didn't perform well in the portal, even though they got card. That means they everywhere else they lost. I'm hoping that losing that talent, not performing well in the portal. Uh, they just don't, they won't have enough to, to stay with us at home, but it's going to be a challenge. There was the thing about their offensive line. Another, an, like I mentioned the guy from, from ODU left after spring practice, they lost sixth year senior Eric Miller off their offensive line after spring practice. And that like, so they've got lots of seniors in their two deep on the O line, but losing Miller after the fact, you have to factor that into some of these projections that were made there, bring them down just, just one notch. So the offensive line, it's still good card. I think we'll whip it around as Sam was talking about, but I think we can manage this offense. And hopefully you guys agree with that. Um, Let's flip over to defense, and if you want to pop back for any offensive notes, we can do that. Just four returning starters on defense, but they could still be solid under Walters right away. This is a guy that is known – him and his D.C., I think it's Kane. Mm-hmm. They've been uh, they're known to be good schemers, and they're going to play this 3-4, which we don't suit up against a lot, and so that could kind of throw a monkey wrench into us. But their personnel for playing that 3-4 might not quite be there yet. Rob, do you – have any notes yeah. on the defense? Kevin Kane was, he went to Illinois and he was putting outstanding, like top, I think they were top scoring in total defense in the country last year, if I'm not mistaken. So it, Illinois is not a powerhouse of defensive talent. Let's, let's be honest here. So he, he is good he, and, and the scheme obviously works. The question is, Will he have enough time and what does he absorb from, you know, the prior, the prior roster coming in? That's, that's really the only question mark because I, that what he did at Illinois was pretty remarkable uh, over that course of a couple of years um, that they had, they had top defenses. So that will be um, interesting. The three, four scheme is, is unique in, in that sense. And the linebackers, I think they're deep there. Uh, So I don't know. I, I think our our hope for this game to go the way that we want it to is really for the offense uh, not to show up. I think the defense should be in pretty good shape for them. 
Um, and I think it'll be not the best that we face, but I think it'll be well coached and, and they definitely have some talent on that team. Yeah, I think, you know, a big question mark around Purdue is how they're going to transition from a classic 4-3 to the 3-4. Like I said earlier, there are some concerns that the whole roster, especially on defense, kind of lacks some length and athleticism needed to play that 3-4. And the defensive line is going to be pretty pretty sparse. Uh, You know, they lost some guys to the transfer portal, like you said, but also with graduation, they lost Jack Sullivan, Branson Dean. Both of those guys combined for eight sacks last year. So eight sacks from the defensive tackle position is is a good amount of production. So they're really going to be reliant on transfers and a lot of guys learning a a new system. They had to go to the transfer portal for the two guys who are going to start at corner, uh, a guy from Stanford and a guy from Penn State. And both of those guys were were backups at at those respective schools. So um, they're, they're, Defense is a major, major question mark. Offensively, th- this team will be good. Yeah. The the good example of what you're talking about with the scheme switch is uh, Kyger and Jenkins because he played defensive end last year. He had eight tackles for loss and seven hurries, but now he's moving outside linebacker. So are we going to get kind of a, a, a Snowden at UVA kind of look from him where they'll stand him up, he'll come rushing around the edge. Uh, but I think he could be scary as an outside linebacker, so that could be a problem. But the linebacker unit is good. Robbie talked about that. Um and they lost a projected starter inside linebacker after spring as well in Wahlberg. So the safeties are solid. The linebackers should still be good despite Wahlberg bouncing. Um, the corners, I, I don't know. I, it, let's just let's go to this game overall. I think their offense will present a stiff challenge, as Sam talked about. Light year is better than ODU. But the fact that it's early in the season, their defense is what is – much bigger concern to me because our offense is still going to be hopefully getting their feet underneath them. And defenses tend to be ahead of the offenses anyway. Uh, This guy is a defensive guy coming in as their coach. So this could be kind of a bit of a slobber knocker. I feel like it it could be a little bit of a, hopefully a low scoring game if our defense shows up. Yeah. And if you know, for context, uh, Purdue is five and a half point favorites week one against Fresno state at home. Fresno State team that's expected to go about, you know, six, seven wins in the Mountain West this year. So to give you a little bit of context to that, uh, that's where Purdue is sitting week one. But like you said, Pete, if this game is week four or week five, I feel much less confident in it. But the fact that it's week two, um, I think think the Hokies could win this one by a touchdown or so. Purdue is just, um, they didn't bring in a lot of talent this offseason. Yeah. Did you guys know when Hudson Card tra- decided to do his transfer to Purdue? Was it before? Or, uh, I'm assuming it was after uh, Brom was gone, right? Because Brom left in December. Yeah, uh, I think it was, it was right? after. Yeah, so uh, there's something to be said for a guy coming out of Texas with the cachet of Texas <laughs> going to Purdue that just lost its head coach and is overhauling both its offensive and defensive coordinators. And that's like the destination he ends up in. So I, I don't know. I, I think the guy is very talented. I do think there are some warts there that some teams saw. Otherwise I think he's probably playing in different colors this year um, than, um, than playing from the, the boiled makers. I think on our offensive side that our past game could be effective in this game. I know that I, I talked about, you know, their defense could be good, but if we get the ball out quick against an aggressive defense, cause I do think that Walters likes to kind of play an aggressive style. Uh, we'll have a chance. And there are some holes that can be found in that defense. Ultimately 
I'll go right back to the beginning. They lost a lot of talent to the NFL and the portal. And at a place like Purdue with a brand new coach, that's not a recipe for having a very strong start to your season. So they'll be significantly worse than the team that won the division. They did win the Big Ten division and go to the Big Ten championship game last year. But this is not the same team. I'm thinking it'll be a tight game. And I think if Pry wins this game, it means he absolutely won the coaching battle in this game if we win. All right, let's take a moment to do talk about our sponsor and do a beer break. And so uh, you guys have heard about prize picks. The 2D Pokies Under the Influence podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy app that allows you to make plays with our very own Hokies players. So come this fall, you'll be able to get some action on Allie Jennings receptions, Malachi Thomas's yards, our quarterback's TD numbers. Some people have been talking that Drones is still going to be the starter. Brian Siegley was out there this week saying Drones is going to be the guy. Um, we'll wait and see about that, but you will be able to make some plays on them this fall. Uh, in the meantime, you've got MLB. You can make plays on Summer League, uh, eSports. PrizePix has it all, a lot of chances to get money in your pocket. So download the PrizePix app today and use code MEMORYLANE for a deposit match up to $100. That's MEMORYLANE, all one word, and you'll get that deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy made easy. Right now, Rob, I need to know what you're drinking. I have had this on the podcast, but uh, my shipment's not getting in tomorrow of, of my my non-alcoholic beers. So I am having the Brewdog uh, Punk AF, the punk as F word, um, keeping it clean tonight, uh, just like the no alcohol content for me. But, for all the kids uh, that'll listen to our previews. Yeah, most <laughs> the show, for all the six-year-olds and under that uh, haven't heard the F word yet, they um, they they need to you know, keep it clean for them. But another, this, this is a, almost a classic at this point, non-alcoholic, uh, hoppy pale ale that's been around for a while and it's delicious. And that's why I have it sitting around the fridge on a, on a day that I, I didn't get a shipment of new beers. in. so that's me. What are you having Pete? I'm having the mother earth brewing company, Cali Creamin. <laughs> this is a vanilla cream ale, creamsicle flavored cream ale. So yeah, I know this is, this is not really even real beer. People are probably going to clown me for it, but I saw it in the store and I actually, I know a lot of times in the beer store, since there are so many, I do hit up untapped while I'm in the store because I just don't want to buy something that's a 3.2 and, you know, have to throw half of it out. So I'm like, this is kind of a funny name. The can looked cool. And I was like, you know what? Uh, let me see what it is. It was like a 3.8, 3.9. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to a 4th of July party. I'll buy the Cali cream and Virginia cream ale vanilla cream ale creamsicle it's good i'm not a huge creamsicle guy but you know i was feeling frisky and the color is kind of like a copper color uh but it tastes exactly like a creamsicle like if you had if your girl really doesn't like the beer or whatever or your or your man um and they but they like a little sweetness they would probably drink this and not even know it's a beer it's it's really tasty five percent alcohol i think it's from california they're always drinking weird stuff out there so yeah vista california the cali cream and cream ale creamsicle i'd recommend it if you just want to have one a little too sweet to have too many but it was a good beer and i kind of went out on went out on the limb i almost went with the sam adams since we got sam on the podcast but yeah. we've been talking about that too much lately but they they put out a mix pack sam adams that i've seen at like four different parties now it's the take a day ipa which is a new one it's this like pineapple sour kind of thing they got going on the porch rocker and of course the sam summer and it's a pretty good mix pack but like i said i went to 
graduation party. I went to a July 4th party. They all had this mixed pack of Sam Adams. The cans are all colorful. But the Take a Day IPA is pretty solid. I know Sam hasn't put out a ton of great IPAs, but that one's good. I think I brought this up last time you had a cream ale on here, but how would you rank it against Genesee cream ale? Have you had it? <laughs> I, it's definitely better than Genesee cream ale. Now, mm-hmm. if you're on a bachelor party in New Jersey and someone breaks out a case of Genesee, sometimes mm-hmm. you need to drink 10, but yeah. it, otherwise stay away from it. <laughs> And, and I think I also told this story of, do you remember who was the, the biggest fan and used to always, I couldn't, it never, it was like a running joke, but it just became a, a it wasn't a joke anymore at a certain point after like a year or two of it. But the big fan of Genesee Cream Ale in college was Eric Neander. Oh, really? president of baseball operations for the <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays, a Virginia Tech grad, loved his uh, Genesee cream ale. Yeah, I mean, Eric was an absolute savage in college. <laughs> people people think he's this, this classy GM, GM of the year, whatnot. The Rays were kicking ass earlier this season, but he was a crazy man, um, just as most of us were in college. And Robbie was actually pretty good friends with him. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, let's move on to Rutgers. Uh, this is a game in New Jersey. We're going on the road, 9-16, 3.30 p.m. on Big Ten Network. And I'm pumped about this. And the Sons of Saturday, uh, Billy is from New Jersey. Pat, I think, is from or lives in New Jersey at one point. Um, they're all organizing a big ticket group to go to the game. T-shirts, tickets, they they put it out on on their social media. So if you want to go to the Rutgers game, make sure to send them a DM and they'll give you the details on how to get involved with the ticket purchase. I'm going, my, my mom's going, my cousins are going, Robbie might be coming up. I got some other college buddies that are coming up, but the Rutgers game is going to be awesome. And it's also their Scarlet day. So it's going to be, it's going to be a wild scene. Rutgers. Shiano is back. As we know, this is year four. I think of his, this will be year four of his return. Yep. I didn't realize he was there for 11 years before that. I mean, he was he was really there a long time. He had an over 500 record, and we know that he did get them really going, the best they've ever been going. Uh, but it, it hasn't been that great the last couple years. Uh, Sam, fill us in a little bit on, on how Rutgers has been going under Shiano. Yeah, so you see the thing about Rutgers is they lost a lot of games last year by a lot of points. Um <laughs> They got absolute, and look, they played a, a much tougher schedule than Virginia Tech could possibly imagine. Um, but I mean, they just got worked in some games. I mean, they lost 55 to 10 to Penn State, 37 nothing to Maryland, 52 17 to Michigan, 31 nothing to Minnesota, 49 10 to Ohio State. They gave up 27 points to Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think the Iowa scoreboard goes up to 27. That's and, crazy. Know. They almost got to 30, <laughs> the yeah, famous I mean, number. And and this was, you know, we talked about EPA. Rutgers was 130th in EPA per game offense last season. Um, oh. Virginia Tech wasn't even that bad. Um, and when you adjust for opponent and venue, they were 125th and Virginia Tech was 87th. So just put it in perspective right there. How I bad mean, we were basically it, air raid. Compared, compared I, <laughs> I mean, we're the Kansas City Chiefs compared to these guys. Um, they're just, they're not doing too swift. And and Shiano is kind of grasping at straws right now. They brought in a new offensive coordinator, Kirk Chiaraka, and who's been bounced around a lot of places. He's actually at Penn State in 2020 when Brent Pry was there. Uh, the funny thing about this is Greg Shiano actually fired Kirk Chiaraka <laughs> from Rutgers about a decade and a half ago. Yeah. So they made up at straws. 
it's got a white New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I, this team, returning starters doesn't really matter because they were so dreadful. They have four projected returning starters. Of the terribleness that was last season, they still lost three of their most productive um, players, two wide receivers and a running back. So they're starting fresh, um, which is probably a good thing for how abysmal this offense was uh, last year. They did have one guy, Samuel Brown, who is back this year. He was supposed to either be a starter or compete for starting last year. I guess he had a he had a foot injury. And, um, you know, the quarterback, Gavin Wimsett, I guess, played the last five games uh, of last year when things really derailed with a 45% completion rate, which uh, was about second worst in the country. So I, this offense... Um, needs to really take some steps forward to be competent and just be, you know, never mind um, serviceable. So there, there's not really much excuse for, um, you know, put, letting them put up um, a decent number of points on, uh, on Virginia Tech. No, this is absolutely a game that we should keep them to a low number. Now, we might get kept to a low number too. We'll talk about the defense in a minute, but we're on the road in this one. And this is going to be like years ago when Pitt came into uh, into Blacksburg and we had like 100 yards of offense and the game was 17-10 or something, 13-10. Uh, that's what this could end up being because this offense is so bad. Our defense should be able to hold them down. Wimsat, like one of the worst quarterbacks in all of F- FBS, they're, they scored, what, 17 points a game. That was 124th in the country. 130th in total offense in FBS versus, I should say, versus FBS, 130th. Um, so when they played decent teams, they couldn't move the ball at all. And if you look at the SP plus for their offense after spring, they're 95th and we are 90th. And we know how bad we were and their five spots worse. And in some of Sam's numbers, they were clearly much worse than us. So their passing efficiency was 129th. Um, the other guy, Evan Simon, say they decide to start him. He's bad too. So they they literally had one of the worst pass efficiencies in the country. Uh, they didn't address it in the portal. They don't have a freshman, I think, that's coming in that's about to start or anything. They get two top running backs back, but neither of them went over 500. Um, just two starters back on the O-line. So again, you want to pivot to the run game. Uh, they were 87th in TFL last year allowed per game. So I, I'm not sure that's going to work for them. This is a this is a game where our defense should be able to get off, uh, get some pressure, maybe get some turnovers, and keep that number that number low. Uh, let's flip over to the defense, Sam. What's what's going on with the Rutgers defense? Well, uh, contrary to the offense, this is actually a pretty good defense uh, within reason. So, you know, I think the best way is if they can muddy the game up and make it a low scoring grind out affair that's when this defense can really shine. And they return a ton of guys. Uh, they're experienced. They're they're solid. Once you kind of get the ball rolling against this defense, though, it does tend to spiral out of control. But if you, you know, low scoring first and second quarter, then they can kind of keep you down for the whole game. But, uh, you know, it's they're not a great defense by any means, but they can muddy the waters a bit. So I think for Virginia Tech in this game, the key is limit penalties, you know, hopefully one or two turnovers max, you know, play clean football and you should be able to score on this team. But 
holding penalties, false starts, a few, you know, missed time to fumbles and turnovers. And the, you know, you can kind of hit a brick wall against this Rutgers team. Yeah. The, the talent really has a good chance to be a very solid defense right now. And to Sam's point, assuming that they can get a breather from the offense, which they didn't get much of it last year. You got a defensive lineman, Aaron Lewis, whose second team projected all Big Ten, Jacoby Windmond and Max Melton, a linebacker and a defensive back, are projected third team. Uh, you got two guys that went out uh, that were anticipated to be starters last year, defensive end Mohamed Tori and linebacker Moses Walker. And then you get two solid transfers in, I think a quarterback, cornerback uh, Eric Rogers and uh, Flip Dixon, uh, strong safety. So honestly, I don't think I, I went through most of my checks through um, Athlon is is what I used for mine. I don't think they were giving enough credit to this defense, quite frankly, and looking where the position ranks were uh, against the rest of the Big Ten. I it would I think it was an overlook on their part because we'll see if 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 the stats don't show up and the play doesn't show up this year. I think it's more due to the fact that. These guys couldn't get off the field because the offense was, you know, three and out repeatedly. I don't necessarily think it's going to be because of because of talent. I, I think they they have some decent talent for a Rutgers team. And that's a good point with with regard to us and them in that both offenses hung the defenses out to dry last year. And so both of these defenses could be significantly better if the offenses are just a little bit better. And you talked about a bunch of the names. I mean, Max Melton is another all conference pick. Deion Jennings is their leading tackler. He's back too. So I, I think I read something that someone said uh, they could be a top five defense in the Big Ten. Now that would that would mean they played their best and their offense was decent. But if they've got that kind of potential, because their D line, it's by bar none the best unit on the team. Like that, mm-hmm. there's some real dudes on that D line, and there's other guys uh, in the back seven. So um, the offense will be bad. Should be able to keep them under control. They only scored 13 points a game versus FBS teams last year. So if we can keep them to 13, even with it being on the road, we got to be able to get two touchdowns up there and win the game. Now I know that's an average, but, but you get my point, get aggressive versus their QB. When we're on defense, maybe pop a couple turnovers, uh, get their defense tired out. It's going to be a little bit warm. Um, and maybe we'll have a chance. The passing will be difficult for us, I think. I think that's yeah. going to be hard. And I don't want to mince words. This is not a Georgia defense. So <laughs> if we should be able to, there are no excuses for being under 20 points against this team. So it is all relative. But yes, it should be good for uh, for Rutgers, Rutgers team as of late. That's for sure. Yeah, I think we do enough to squeak out this win. I asked Robbie a couple weeks ago, which game do you feel better about the Purdue game at home or the Rutgers game on the road? And at the time I was like, oh man, I really don't know, but I feel way better about this game. Like I agree. <laughs> this is one of the worst power five teams in the country, probably a bottom five or six. So, you know, I think in general, it's a good barometer for the program. Like if you can't beat Rutgers, whether it's home or road, maybe you're not making the progress that you need to be making. Right. So yeah. I mean, power five road games, they just don't come easier than this game. So yeah, I take advantage of it if you can. Did you, Sam, I know you were doing some work on our home field advantage. How is SHIT stadium on their home field advantage? <laughs> um, if you give me 10 seconds, <laughs> I, I didn't can mean to pull it up. But yeah, go for yeah. it, man. 
Piscataway home field advantage. How many points is that worth? That's what I need to know. Yeah, it's it's SHI Stadium, but it's just it's. I just watched the movie Accepted for the first time the other night. I don't I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. It's it's an old like Jonah Hill and Justin Long movie, and they they create a college called South Harmon Institute of Technology, which is shit, and that's that's what like it's SHIT Stadium because they play like shit there. I got him at 77th, right between Duke and Colorado State. Okay, so not a great home field advantage. Um, kind of the, the surrounding area of Durham, North Carolina, and none of the scenery of Fort Collins, Colorado. <laughs> so, yeah. Nicely said. Not much home field advantage up there. All right, let's move to Marshall. Um, this game, I think, could be trouble. We're going on the road yeah. yet again. G5 team. Second year in a row, we're playing a G5 on the road. Not ideal. 9.23 in Huntington. In their FPI and SPF, uh, SP plus numbers are both 66 on the nose, and Athlon has them at 71. So right around where we are, in ac- according to the projections. Last year, they were 9-4. and four. They beat Notre Dame. It was well-publicized, went into South Bend, won the game. And finished five and three in the Sun Belt, a pretty good conference. Six all conference players uh, in the preseason, according to Athlon. And we got head coach Charles Huff in year three, a guy that when he was hired was someone that we were all very interested in, uh, but before his recruiting prowess at Alabama. To set the table here for those that don't have the schedule in front of them, we have in the first four games, we have two, two teams from the Big Ten, opposite conferences, and two teams from the Sun Belt in the same side of the conference. Uh, and it is that's wild to have in the first uh, four games. But um, they, the, I think Marshall is projected to finish second um, in their side of the conference. Uh, and if you want to compare that to ODU, ODU is, I think, supposed to finish dead last. So that'll probably give you a barometer of where, you know, the first four games are lining up to be. And as opposed to ODU, this team, Marshall, won their last five games of the season last year. So they're they're kind of running hot. And um, they got a new DC because the current guy, he was hired away. I forget who he got hired away by, but... um the GT linebackers coach has come over to be the new DC and Clint Trickett, a name you might remember from last chance you and West Virginia and Florida state. He returns as the offensive coordinator for Marshall. So the offense will probably be fairly similar in nature um, because they have the same quarterback. They got this running back that was a stud two years ago. And then last year in Rashina Ali, what, what do you think about their offense, Sam? Um, yeah, it's, I think they're very similar to Virginia Tech's offense where last year it's just, they were like an old car that just couldn't get started. Um, the quarterback play was really poor. They went to Cam Fencher for the last seven games and he did pretty well. Um, you know, albeit against a, a little bit worse opponents and, and their defense, like, I think the story of this team is the defense will get to them offensively. Machina Lee's really good. I think he's one of the better running backs tackle play all season. And this offensive line is, one, they're extremely large. Uh, they'll play about four or five guys that are taller than 6'6". Six, six. Uh, their starting left tackle is six foot nine, 326 pounds. Dang. So they're, size-wise, they're going to be significantly larger than Virginia Tech up front. That's just the reality. Um, mm. They don't have a lot of playmakers, though. 
and quarterback play is, is pretty spotty. They rely on running the football um, maybe more than any team Tech will play this season. So uh, a big test for the interior of the defensive line and linebacker core for the Hokies. Yeah, and Ali went for 1,400 yards, just to put a number on it as a freshman. 1,400 yards, 5.6 yards per carry, and 23 touchdowns. That's that's Lee Suggs' touchdown numbers right there. So um, he only had to, he only played three games due to injury last year, but he was an absolute monster two years ago. So getting him back behind a big offensive line, two of which, two of those offensive linemen are all conference preseason. So that's good for them. Now the offensive line in general, I think their depth is a little rough. Uh, but that that is kind of how it goes at a G5. But for a G5, this is a good offensive line, and they will be running the football because the quarterback, you you talked about like maybe not against good opponents. Well, his QBR was 32.6, which is an opponent-adjusted stat. 32.6 is bad. That is a, a poor efficiency for a QB. Um, 120 passer rating is just meh. It's not terrible, but it's not very good. So... 10, 10 TDs to six INTs for Francher. Uh, I'm not so worried about the pass. I, I'm worried about their run game and, and our defensive line holding up and what we get out of our new look linebackers, how they're going to, how they're going to do against this team. But defensively, Rob, what are you thinking for the, the Marshall defense? They definitely have some, some good talent on there. They got um, Owen Porter, uh, defensive end, linebacker Eli Neal, and a cornerback. So all three levels, uh, they got projected first team all uh, Sunbelt. Um, I only had them as getting three starters back, but I do think the defense is going to be um, a pretty good strength of, of this team um, in comparison to the offense, which is, is much more one dimensional. And I think it really starts with, with those three guys. So, um, I, you know, overall, I think this is going to be another salty game and I think we managed to give them, you know, a good amount of confidence, uh, against Virginia tech. So, um, I'm a little bit worried about their defense, but we're what four games into the season at this point. Um, I'm hoping that the offense, um, has established itself or at least somewhat of an identity by this point in this juncture in the, in the season, almost a third of the way through and, um, we'll see, but they definitely have some key pieces to, to cause trouble for us. I think you were right with that three starters back because besides the three guys you named, they're very thin, uh, across the defense that, and that's good because last year, this team was number three in the country in yards per play. So the fact that they lost a ton is very good for us. Um, I, I hate this the the circumstances around this game because we're coming off two straight P5s. They have a bye. And their mm-hmm. first game is against Albany. Their second game is against ECU. So in terms of being fresh, like they're going to be a lot more fresh. Now, we'll be far more battle-tested. And maybe, you know, rust versus rest, right? The ultimate debate. What's what's better? Four games into the year, it might work to our advantage. Um, but damn, it, that's not cool that we got to go on the road after playing two P fives when this team gets a buy. That's, that's very annoying. How do you see the game playing out, Sam? I'll save the long diatribe about the fact that Virginia tech is the only major college football program to schedule games like these, even though the circumstances were what they were a few years ago. Um, you talked about they lost a lot on defense, but they brought back all their best players, right? They brought mm-hmm. back Owen Porter, who's a game record at defensive end. They brought back Eli Neal, who's one of the best G5 linebackers in the country. Uh, they had 18 interceptions last year, 
and they bring back most of that production. So for me, I, I, don't, I don't have good vibes about this game. They are good at the things Virginia Tech will be bad at. They are good in the trenches. They are good at playing physical. Uh, they're good at running the football. They're good at causing turnovers. All of those things are bad for Virginia Tech. Um, I, I have on my notes also that, you know, there might be a cruel twist of fate in this game. 20 to 17 is what came to my head. That was the score of the old Dominion game last year. Um, so unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that. this is going to be one of those games where we see the program kind of come back down to earth and we see how, you know, maybe they did a good job addressing the skill position players in the transfer portal and they've recruited up some good guys in the you know, defensive backfield, but in the defensive front seven and on the offensive line, especially this program still has a long ways to go. And I think you're going to see that against a team that's done a really good job of building that. Yeah. I, I, I look at it like this. They're going to, they're going to want to run. So pry our focus on and maybe blitzing a fair amount against this quarterback. And if you can stop the run, uh, we'll have a chance, but just like you said, if we manage to win this game, it's a low key, huge win for our program because it's kind of almost like a schedule loss. Like that, that's kind of how I see it because you got a big game the following week. We're going to get into coming off two big games. Maybe you go on the road, you beat Rutgers immediately back on the road like that. It's just, it just sucks. So um, it would be a huge win. Stop the run. Maybe, maybe we'll have a chance. Also, this is a team that went on the road into South Bend and beat, you know, Notre Dame, uh, the number at the time number, forget what Notre Dame was last year and think more about just going up there and, and playing them and having to be the number eight team in the country. And they beat Notre Dame. So th- there's not going to be a whole lot of fear from them with Virginia Tech, the way that we've been playing the past, um, you know, call it five seasons, um, you know, with us coming, coming to town. Yeah. And also we're looking at this in mid-July. Uh, this matchup could look very different in mid-September. Yes. You know, we'll see what these teams look like. Uh, Marshall has plenty of question marks. Again, like on, on Lindy's magazine I'm looking at right now, they're ranked 109th, right? So this is not a, wow. a very, which I think is pretty harsh, but still, I mean, you look at that, even give them 20 spots, right? Give them to the number 89. That's still significantly lower preseason hype than you have for the Hokies. So contextualize it a bit for me the spot is just a really bad spot for virginia tech that's actually a really good point sam is that sometimes we get married to these these ranking ideas but it's just like nfl nba draft like one team can see a a, one place can see a team really good other place can and cannot and that's a that's because this marshall team is such an unknown with losing all those defensive starters this is going to be a test into what has Huff built there? Has he built enough infrastructure into that program that they can lose a bunch and still play well? We don't know. And so, yeah, they could be a hundredth. They could be 60th as they're projected in, in Athlon. So we'll just have to wait and see. We're going to get into our ACC games now. Uh, Pitt and Florida State are our last two games that we're going to do tonight. Pitt is a home game, 9-30, September 30th. Uh, never like playing Pitt, but at least we're at home. Don't go to go to Heinz or whatever it's called now. In the FPI, they're number 35. SP plus a little bit lower at 41. And despite winning 20 games the last two seasons, they are projected at eight and four. So maybe just coming down a little, but still being a bowl team, a potential top 25 team. But six guys drafted for Pitt, that could be hard to replace. What do you think, Sam? 
Um, actually, I, I have down that they had seven defensive players drafted. Oh, is that um, right? Uh, maybe I, I think so. I, I think could be off by they, a number. Yeah. Well, regardless, a lot of really good players left this team. Um, we talked about Tarp a little bit earlier. Pittsburgh's actually coming in at 123rd in um, in returning production. I like that. Transfer alloc- transfer uh, allocating returning production, 123rd. Um, they lose a lot of guys. There's a lot of question marks on this team. But again, Pat Narduzzi's been able to do this where he just he recruits his guys. They play into their system. They play a brand of football. And quite frankly, it's a brand of football that has given Tech fits. I think outside of the, the 28 to nothing uh, game that Virginia Tech had at home in the rain, outside of that matchup, this series has been all Pittsburgh for quite some time now. So, you know, it's one of those programs that just, they have text number recently. Abinaconda, I'm still, I think he just scored another touchdown yep. in last year's game. Uh, six touchdowns, 300 yards, whatever it was. But these games when we play Pitt and having historic numbers put up against, it's so aggravating and getting so old. They're just not that good of a program for us to be so embarrassing against them so often. Um, and even despite those losses, we talked about the draftees, they have 10 projected all conference guys. One's a kicker, uh, one's a punt returner, but like still, that is a lot of all conference players. Narduzzi has done a tremendous job. I know, I know we all hate him, but he's done a tremendous job at that school, uh, finishing in the top 25 the past two years. And they brought in Phil Jerkovic, a cute quarterback, a guy we know from BC, and a guy that has shown flashes to be borderline elite. He's never put it together, but he's a borderline elite passer when he's playing at his best. He's gone from Notre Dame to BC uh, to Pitt. Uh, he's got two. He's got two teams on his schedule that he was on their team. They literally can <laughs> scout against him. He's playing BC and Notre Dame this year, which is unbelievable. His two thousand and two or two thousand twenty and two thousand twenty one seasons were pretty pretty damn good. And last year. We don't know what he could have done because BC's offensive line was absolute trash. It, it was horrible. So we have no clue. Um, if he kind of comes to this team and puts in a 2020-2021 season, um, I think they could be good. And then you got Rodney Hammond Jr. as the starter, um, and he is obviously replacing um, Abinaconda, who was – incredible like absolutely just an incredible player but i rodney hammond is supposed to be very very good and i think part of the reason he didn't get to see the field is because of you know just how high end that that talent was uh and at wide receiver i think they get two of their three starters back um with kanata mumfield and and bub means which is a cool name actually and i think the the offense It'll all rely on what Jerkovic does, but it it could be pretty decent. And that is not the side of the ball that really, you know, Pitt is known for causing headaches for people. And they have a they have a good defense once again. Yeah, uh, Sam, what do you think about that offense? And because I'm looking at it, 99th in pass efficiency, and now you're bringing in Jerkovic and. Uh, Frank Signetti, who was Jerkovich's OC at BC in 2021 when he played at his best, is at Pitt. But it's hard for me with Jerkovich not playing full seasons. And efficiency-wise, he was dead last in the ACC last year. And he was also dead last behind his own 
teammate in Evan Moorhead. So you can blame the offensive line, but both those teams played behind the same line. And he wow. was actually worse than his horrible teammate in, in Emmett Moorhead. So I'm not, I don't know what Jerkovich we're going to get, but he is reunited with Signetti and maybe they'll improve upon that 99th pass efficiency this year. Well, he also had Zay Flowers with him last year. So it's not like he wasn't throwing to anybody, right? Zay Flowers will probably start for the Ravens. And as a Browns fan, I'm terrified of him. Um, Rodney Hammond, a a Norfolk 757 recruit guy. He's really good. Uh, He's more of a scat back. He's quick on the outside, smaller guy. Um, But, I mean, they're going to be classic pit. They're going to run the ball really well. I think they have some good wide receivers that really aren't going to beat you downfield, but are going to beat you on slip screens, bubble screens, uh, quick slants, things like that, which is kind of where I think Jerkovich is is best at as a pro-style quarterback, stand in the pocket, one, two, make the throw. That's kind of his game. So, you know, offensively, I don't think Pitt will be a very good team, but I think of all of the teams Virginia Tech plays this you know early part of the season, Pittsburgh's maybe the one where you might want to bet the over in this game because I think they're going to surprise people with how well they do against against this uh, Chris Marv defense, not Brent Pride defense right now, but Chris Marv defense. Uh, they scare me a bit on offense. Yeah, matchups do. You're right on with Jerkovich actually because you know Narduzzi wants to run the ball even when they had Kenny Pickett doing awesome. Um, he wanted to run more. And so they're going to run and that's going to help Jerkovich be comfortable and get it to these wide receivers, which are pretty legit. It's a way better supporting cast, not just the line, the whole way around for Jerkovich. And so he probably will play well as long as he can stay healthy because he hasn't shown that he can do that. Going to the defense. It's funny because you look at the SP plus for their offense. It's, it's nine spots ahead of where the defense is. So the defense yeah. for a Pat Narduzzi team is projected to be worse than the offense, which I don't buy, but that's, that's how the projections are coming in. Now their defense has been number two in sacks per game. Uh, I think, what is it? Four straight years, number two or number one, four straight years in a row. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. They were not top 25 in most categories last year, but their top four tacklers are gone and there's just one, starter back on the defensive line the back seven i think is still really good and and i'll let uh one of these guys talk about the players but gonna get after the quarterback they're gonna play aggressive they're gonna play physical he's gonna whine for calls um but there's a potential here that pitt's defense actually takes a step back after being very good the last few seasons this is actually a broader point but i think athlon mailed in the ACC coverage this year as I read through all the teams. And I don't know if you picked up on this, Pete, either, but the write-ups were terrible compared to other teams, and the rankings didn't make a whole lot of sense. So this it's Pat Narduzzi defense. This is a team that lost a ton of people to the NFL. Like, there's going to be a step back. They're returning, what, five projected starters from last year, and they're Mm -hmm. they're ranked fourth, fourth, and third in DL linebacker and DB positions in the ACC. And I, I just, I don't see it being that clean uh, for Pitt. There's going to be some, some growing pains, I think for this team that said, MJ Devonshire is a stud. He's going to go all ACC this year. They got linebacker Shane Simmons, who's good. Bengali Kamara um, is also, well, the two linebackers. So the linebacker unit's going to be solid. Uh, I, I do think that they're going to be good, but I that is a lot of reloading to try and do um, from one season to the next and and feel like you're going to have 
that elite of a defense that you're going to put out there again. Yeah, I think the linebackers are so versatile, and that's what's going to make this defense go. They both get to the quarterback. uh, I think a ton of hurries. Even though they weren't putting up tackle for loss numbers, a lot of hurries from these guys. And Narduzzi likes to play aggressively. The the CBs and the the safeties are pretty good. Um, You mentioned Devin Shire. So at the end of the day, five games into the season, they're going to be tough. They're going to be, they're going to come to Blacksburg. It's going to be a tough game. Um, but I, I like, I like Sam's theory that maybe this kind of goes the other way for once. And we kind of get a little bit of a back and forth because there's a lot of new guys playing for the pit team and against us, Jerkovich and company might, you know, get the ball moving. It, it could be a higher scoring game if this pit defense does in fact take that step back. Yeah. You have two things on this pit defense. First off, we talk about in college football programs like Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh, they have development cycles, right? And those are kind of peaks and valleys of how good a, a certain side of the ball or how good your team is going to be. Pittsburgh's in the valley of a development cycle right now. They did a really good job with a lot of those guys, but those NFL draft picks they had last year, they had been contributing for the last two or three years on this defense. So a lot of those top national defenses were those guys who are now gone. So Um, It's definitely a test for this Pittsburgh coaching staff. I think, though, if you go back to the 2016 Virginia Tech-Pittsburgh game, that was the game where Gerard Evans just kept throwing deep balls to Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges, and Pitt couldn't stop it, and Tech kind of started to control that game in the second half. Uh, Pittsburgh cornerbacks, although they are pretty good, are 5'11 and 5'9". Okay. Do you have any idea how short you have to be in real life to be listed at five foot nine on a football <laughs> roster? I right. mean, that is a child. I mean, I'm sure he's a good football player, but five foot nine. Virginia Tech's starting two wide receivers, Ollie Jennings and Daquan Felton, will be six two and six five, respectively. So if if Tyler Bowen can scheme it up, you could have an eight inch differential between Daquan Felton lined up against and, and let me get his name i'm sorry for putting him on blast but uh marquise williams it's marquise williams yeah that's you that's could have an eight i mean that is I, that's just throw it up and he won't have a shot but to do pass interference so if virginia tech takes advantage of that matchup this could this could be the 2016 game all over again where virginia tech wins a game that they maybe shouldn't win yeah, if you got and, an eight-inch differential between you and another guy, girls are going to notice. I mean, that is that is. <laughs> they 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 in fact will. In the words of Mac Brown, that's a tall on a small. That's 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 what that's, that's what we're going for in this game. We're trying to throw it up, and if Grant Wells is the quarterback, we should have that ability. I also think we may not see Jerkovich in the game. We might see the kid that transferred from Penn State, a guy that we were interested in, uh, Villu, right? Uh, Christian Valu, one of Christian the best Valu. high school arms I've ever seen on film. Okay, yeah, that could not a very a good college quarterback. Apparently, no. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> left Penn State. Film. He left Penn State to go be a backup behind Phil Jerkovich. Not something I really understand, but we know the pit game's going to be a rock fight. Um, now that could be a high scoring rock fight, or it could be a thirteen to ten. But I, uh, gosh, I want to beat them at home. I. I freaking hate pits so much like that's a game i really really want to win and we'll have a shot i know the 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 west virginia game is a good corollary uh last year and even the pit game like we we were in that game until the caleb williams fumble caleb williams um caleb smith caleb smith Smith. (laughs) i'm mixing up my generic last names but we we were in the pit game until that fumble 
And we were in the West Virginia game until halftime. And then things got a little out of hand. Those are the kind of things I want to see go differently this year, where we just don't kind of like stumble all over ourselves and lose in the second half. And this pick game should be a good test for something like that. Bring the pain, Pete. Final, final game. Yeah, we've we've got a a nasty one here. We're going down to the Talanasty. Florida State on October seventh. Our last visit to Florida State went pretty well, but this 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 one might not be the same. They are. They they remember that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. We talked about revenge for a couple of our games. I think Florida State wants to get some revenge for that that swag surf and then uh, fall on their face back in 2018. I think it was, Uh, but they are top 10 in Athlon number seven, top 10 in SP plus at number 10 and just outside the top 10 in FPI at number 14 going in this year. They brought back so much for a team that was as good as they were last year. They only had one guy drafted, I believe. And they supplemented in the portal, like nobody's business. They were number nine in the portal index. So, not only were they already loaded up, they didn't sit on their laurels. They went out and they got a bunch of dudes to come in, enough so to give you 13 all-conference preseason, three all-American preseason. And if you just go by their their position groups, because Athlon likes to they like to put the position groups at least uh, in the top 10 nationally. I think they have four position groups in the top 10. And so yeah. this this team is freaking loaded up. Mike Mike Norvell, he had bad offensive lines his first few seasons, and they really struggled. But he's just over five hundred after three years, and he might he might go well over well over five hundred uh, going forward because this team is projected to win the conference, beat Clemson twice because that's pretty much what you have to do this year uh, to win it all. And um, I'm scared. I'm I'm scared. Who wants to kick off the uh, the offense in Jordan Travis? Uh, I can kick it off. And just to finish off, so in the ACC, they go second, second, first, first, second, second, first. That's QB, running back, wide receiver, O line, DL, linebacker, and DB. So yeah, it's just them and Clemson. Second. Yeah, yeah, and that they even make Clemson look like a joke this year. Clemson's got you know some fourth ranked and some fifth ranked, I think, in in those position oh, wow. groups. Jordan Travis had an outstanding season last year to say the least 3,200 yards, 24 touchdowns. He had just five interceptions. Um, they get Johnny Wilson, their wide receiver back. They get Trey Benson, their running back returning. They pretty much have everything going for him to take what was a very, very potent offense last year and make it even better, which would be pretty, pretty incredible. I think, they get all eight of 11 of their offensive players uh, last year. They were 16th in scoring, 10th in total defense. Yeah, so they will be very, very good. Uh, Sam was just talking about tall wide receivers. Uh, that's that's Johnny Wilson. He's six foot seven. Like, I don't know. I know we have some bigger guys. Maybe you bring Cotman in because he's six foot three and, and you can try to mark Wilson, but that is going to be a very stiff challenge. You're basically asking, I mean, so, so by the way, Florida state does play Pittsburgh. Uh, that would be a, a, a 10 inch differential right there. <laughs> um, if you could, so, so, I mean, this team is just loaded with athletes. Uh, you know, I wrote down my first bullet point I wrote down was Virginia tech will be playing who they want to be in five years. The level of high level recruiting, keeping guys in the program, winning in the transfer portal, developing talent, developing a quarterback, like, Mike Norvell has done all of that. 
and you're seeing it come to fruition. This is a team that legitimately could, you know, be playing in the college football playoff. Um, they I mean, should, they're just, they really should. Be, they're, they're like. really good. I, they lost a couple of wide receivers and they brought in the best transfer wide receiver, a guy out of Michigan state. Like they, they are a very, very good football team. The hype is real for Florida state this year. Do you remember? I think it was 20, maybe 2017 Florida state was like preseason number three. They played Bama first game and Mm -hmm. Deandre Francois blew out his knee in that game. And then they weren't the same. The difference between that Florida State team, one, I mean, obviously they lost their quarterback, but their offensive line wasn't nearly this good. Like yeah. this is this is a very good offensive line. And whoever the quarterback is, which is Jordan Travis for them this year, um, one, he was better than he's better than DeAndre Francois yes. was back then. I mean, absolutely his QBR is outrageously good. It was number seven nationally last year, it was ahead of Bryce Young. Um, you might remember him and he had 24 TDs passing another seven rushing. Uh, he is, he's up there for the Heisman. He's the fifth or sixth best Heisman odds. I have him at plus 1500. It's not going to be easy for him to win the Heisman, but if Florida state goes undefeated, he'll have a damn good chance. Cause he's just that good leading rushers back, leading wideouts back. The offense is really what scares me. Now the defense, it's going to be sick. Um, we might not score at all. I don't, I don't know, but I just, I'm looking at their offense and I'm worried they're going to drop 50 on us. You know, like that's, that's really what is, is scaring me, but um, go into the defense. Uh, there, there should be better than the 14th and the SP plus that they're projected. I think this is like a, a top 10 defense with, with verse and Fabian Lovett. Their defensive line is, is absolutely ridiculous. They got three transfers that should play and they already brought back guys. Um, I don't know. What do you think about about their defense, Sam? Do you have any comments there? They've done a really good job recruiting guys who fit their system over the past two or three years, and, and you're starting to see that. Uh, the the Lindy's magazine that I'm reading, um, they list you know primary strengths and potential problems. Here's what they have as the potential problems for Florida State this season. Here's the quote. The Seminoles don't have experienced depth at linebacker outside of Kalen DeLoach, Tatum Bethune, and DJ Lundy. They play <laughs> four two five. Right? <laughs> they only play two linebackers. So yeah. the biggest weakness on this team is that they only have three really good linebackers and they play two. Oh my gosh. And it's... both of those guys that they play are seniors. And yeah. and had seven and a half tackles for loss and nine tackles for loss respectively in uh DeLoach and, and Bethune. I actually think because of some stuff that happened later in their portal business um they're two the two holes if you can call them that on their team are slot receiver and safety those are the yeah. only two areas that are like a little weak i was listening to summer school with bud who obviously is a florida state guy and he expressed concern over the safety spot and they're bringing in this this uh slot guy winston Wright. he transferred from west virginia he's good not great and they don't have a ton behind him in the slot but like everywhere else is absolutely loaded up. I do, I don't even know how you could call linebacker one of their uh, one of their weaker spots. But um, and yeah, man, their, it's bad. their defensive ends are nasty. So Patrick Payton was the ACC defensive of the year last year. Um, that's coming back. And then you mentioned uh, Jared Verse, but between the two of them, they had 14 sacks last year. Uh, so they are going to wreck havoc on our offensive line if it is the way that we think it's going to be so um 
it, it this has this has the makings to be a very very painful game for us. Yeah, uh, Xavier Chaplin is going to be up against it. <laughs> maybe uh, I took team. the words out of your mouth. Uh, yeah, Xavier Chaplin, maybe one of the most important players for the first six games for the Hokies, but uh, another team that has a bye week before playing Virginia Tech at home. So mm. it is it is after the Clemson game. So if Florida State wins at Clemson classic classic letdown spot at home against a a mediocre at best virginia tech team so you're saying they play clemson and then have a bye and then play us yes at clemson okay see and i i'm totally with you because they listen they, this is just how college football works yeah like, works. i don't know if they but the week off kind of nullifies the coming down effect <laughs> a little bit like it kind of sucks that they get that week off but nevertheless it's a good point because if they do be I mean, they could be like number two. Uh, it could be, they could be number one. <laughs> I think that's, that's legitimately the only thing tech has in its favor is the letdown spot yeah. effect. And I, I think going in with nothing to lose, um, yeah. that's really all, that's really all you got here, unfortunately. And, and the nothing to lose. No, they're not going to, they're going to be three touchdown favorites or they'll be 17 point favorites if not you know more in this game maybe more depending on how the first five games go i just want to hang you know and every year florida state has a game nc nc state comes to town they screw it up they screw around uh, uva every now and again sneaks up on florida state i'm not sure this is that florida state that can be snuck up on but college football is a weird game and what i want to do in this game just go down there survive the week hang as best you can and get the hell out of there because it, it's not going to be now if you get a chance if they because if they beat clemson and i know we're going to have ourselves a little bit here but this is fun they beat clemson they're five six games into the year no one's probably going to have a better win than that and they would have had to beat lsu too right because lsu is one mm-hmm. of their first games i mean they would probably be one or two if they were undefeated at that point yeah, and also important for the Hokies, just like you say, kind of getting out of this game healthy. The very next week, they play Wake Forest, and that's one of those make-or-break games for the Hokies when you talk about you know how they're going to finish this season. That's one of the toss-up games that you would like to win. So um, this is it's important for Virginia Tech to go out there, hang, stay healthy, don't get too down on yourself. Um, even if it ends up in a loss, at least have some moral victories here and there. Yeah, that's a good point about Wake, because that – it's not it's not similar to Florida State in some ways, but that's a really good, well coached team, and you want to be ready for that one because that's going to actually be winnable. I don't know how winnable Florida State's going to be, so you want to be prepared for that. And we will be tackling the Wake Forest game and all the rest of the games next week. We're actually bringing on another guest uh, to help us with the second half. But Sam, you were freaking awesome tonight. You. You brought numbers that I had no idea about, which is uh, really great, great contributions. And you helped take some of the heavy lifting off of us for this episode. So thank you for doing that, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, My pleasure, guys. Enjoyed it. Uh, I learned way too much about Marshall football today. <laughs> so, uh, that, no one likes that. No one wants yeah. to know, all, know that. I know. I think about that stuff every year. Um, and, and the alarm bells start to go off sometimes when you're, when you're doing this research and Something I didn't see was that Marshall offensive line that you mentioned being as big as they are. I knew they'd be good. I didn't know about the size. And so that that's a, a bit of a concern. But 
I thought I was hearing Robbie's dog. I guess that was Sam's dog. <laughs> My dog's having a moment this evening. I'm not really sure what's up. So I'll go check on him in a bit here. That's okay. Well, we're about done. Um, Rob, do you have any final comments or are you good to go? Oh, actually, no I, records, I, did, I did want to do records. Yes. So six games. We talked about them. ODU, Purdue, uh, Rutgers, Marshall, Pitt, and Florida State. Uh, Rob, I'll give it to you first, man. What do you think we're coming out uh, after those first six games and, and just your comments in general? I'm boring. I, I want them to flip a win and a loss just to like shake it up, like almost black and red on on the roulette table, but I'm going to stick with it. I got us four and two, actually, um, rattling off four wins, and then the wheels come off. Um, and that's Pitt and FSU. I'm so boring. That jives with what you said on our last episode because you, mm-hmm. you said seven and five for the season. And in order to go seven and five, we have to win four games in the first six. I mean, yep. even to go six and six, I think, which was my prediction, uh, I think we have to win four of those first six games because yeah. Florida State's a surefire loss, almost. So you gotta you gotta find a way to to get to four because the ACC slate's gonna be tough. Yeah, and the Marshall game is the one that I have as that was the one that I may flip with the pit game, um, but I I stuck with it. Um, I have more confidence in Rutgers, Purdue, and ODU. The 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 least sure of those um, from a W perspective for me is Marshall. Yeah, I'm I'm going four and two as well. I have them losing at Marshall and at Florida State. Um, I have them seven and five for the season right now. I, I think there is potential not to get too positive on this, but there is a potential if, if Louisville doesn't look as good as, you know, a lot of people are saying they look and, you know, that three game stretch, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Louisville, those are all winnable games for the Hokies. So there's a lot of potential in this season. Uh, seven and five is where I'm landing. And I think four and two in the first six games, even though you would lose back to back ACC games, uh, I think Hokie Nation would be pretty happy with the progress made through those six games. Uh, yeah, it would be more when <laughs> we didn't have awesome. one game last year, Pete. Okay, we That's don't know that it would be more games. It could be you, tied with the wins from last year. You've that been also includes to my arguments. <laughs> <laughs> eleven um, game season, damn it! <laughs> it was only eleven games. God damn it! Uh, but yeah, I I'm thinking four and two. I don't know where the losses are going to come, but I just don't think. There's so many toss-up games here. Um, It really is going to be about Brent Pry's coaching in this first six games of the season. Like we need him to come up so huge in in the Purdue game, in the Rutgers game, in the Marshall game, potentially in Pitt. Uh, That's going to make or break this. Is it is it two or is it four? Like it could be three. Obviously, Uh, I'm not going to say every single number, but like it's going to depend so much on Brent Pry's coaching because I think the spreads are going to be tight. Like it and Fuente. One of the biggest knocks I always had on him down the stretches games that were within three, three and a half points. Either way, he lost almost all of them. Like he, he was like one in 12 over his last 13 games or something, something really, really bad. So the swing is, it could be very large, but I like our odds to win four games. It gives us a little cushion to go two and four down the stretch and, and hit my six and six mark, but we're going to have to play well in the first six. If we want to go to a bowl. All right. So that will do it. Uh, if you guys have any final comments, feel free to jump in, but you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. You can uh, find us on Instagram. You can email us 2DVT at gmail.com. You can go to sonsofsaturday.com 
You can find Sam's podcast on there. You can find our podcast on there. Sam, where can people find you on Twitter? I am at Sam of Saturday on Twitter. And if you are a TikTok user, Locks of Saturday on TikTok, we've started all of our college football futures bets. So we're talking a little more national on that platform and going over some win totals. So have some good content there for you if you are a TikToker as well. Oh yeah. Sam likes to get deep in the weeds. He'll, he'll find a Mac team or maybe Hawaii and he'll be like, this is what I think about the over under on Hawaii. Uh, the next TikTok <laughs> is about New Mexico state. the fighting Jerry kills. Um, I love it, man. And I've never been more excited to bet over five and a half wins than is I am. Is that for Jerry kill? That is Jerry kill head coach, Jerry kill. Nice. Um, yeah. Very exciting season upcoming for the Aggies. Awesome, man. Well, that's going to do it for the podcast. Uh, we will be back next week to preview the final six games of the season. And hopefully we'll have another commitment in our pocket, but until then go Hokies. <laughs>